you would turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6, it's on page 942, if you're using the the Bibles there in the chairs in front of you. So I I told the first service this morning, uh, as they they bravely came in here, having set their clocks ahead, and getting here super early, y'all are almost as righteous as they are. I told them that sometimes... uh, I have this recurring dream, um, but I didn't have it this time. And the dream is, you know, you're supposed to set your clock forward, and it doesn't happen for some reason. And then, you know, you just, you just don't get there. And so I've had that dream about not getting to the sermon, you know, because I was still in bed. Um, the, but the dream I have had lately uh, is related to the upcoming renovations here at Cornerstone, that I show up to preach, and I, I'm here but y'all are over there, and I, and, and I can't get there or something. It's like a loop. Anyway, so, but I didn't have any of those dreams last night. Uh, had a good night of sleep, even though a little less than normal, but I'm glad to be able to preach this morning from the Word of God, Romans chapter 6, uh, 1 through 11. As we hear this morning, we'll be focusing in on uh, the wonderful doctrine of union with Christ. So let's read God's Word this morning. Romans 6, starting at verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin." Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. God, we thank you for your word that is the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path that leads us to Christ who gave himself for us. We pray now that you would show us today, remind us of the good news of the gospel of all that Jesus has done for us and that your spirit would teach us, and that we would be humbled, and that we would be those who also um, access uh, by faith uh, the power your spirit gives us to walk in newness of life. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When you think of being united to someone, what do you think of? Several years ago, I was listening to a pastor friend of mine. He was talking to a group, and 
he was talking about this very subject of being united to Christ. And his frame of reference was tandem skydiving. Now, I don't know about you, but I am never going skydiving. Okay, it's just not going to happen. Maybe I can, I don't know, they have this virtual reality stuff. Maybe I'll do that, you know, skydive. But I'm never going really skydiving. It's, it's not in my, uh, not my life goals. It's not on my bucket list or anything like that. But as he noted, it's a good picture of what it means to be united to someone. Because apparently, when you go skydiving, you go in tandem with an instructor who is literally stuck to you. And they do all the work. And they make sure that the jump takes place like it should. They make sure the flight goes well. And eventually, that oh-so-important moment when you pull the cord and the parachute goes up, they make sure that happens the way it's supposed to as well. And you get to enjoy all the benefits of what the skydiving instructor is doing. What he says do, you do, right? What he does, you do. And at the end of the day, what he has done, you also have done. I'm sure afterwards someone will come up and tell me how skydiving really actually works. But for now, we're going to let that be our picture this morning as we think of what it means to understand Romans 6 and the wonderful doctrine of union with Christ. If you are in Christ, if you have trusted him by faith, you are united to him by faith. And therefore, what is true of Christ is now true of you. What he did is as if you did it. We've already seen in Romans as Paul has talked about the doctrine of justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, that Christ took our sins upon himself. He pardoned our sins. He forgave our sins. He gave us his righteousness so it is credited to us. And our salvation is secured because of the work of Christ on our behalf in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. And by grace, we get to receive it and to claim it. This is all good news. And one of the amazing things about Romans is the good news just keeps on coming. It's as if a flower is unfolding, displaying more and more of its beauty and wonder. And in chapter 6, we begin to see Paul move us from seeing the beauty and the grace that has been given to us in our justification to seeing that same grace given to us for our sanctification, that God is working in us to make us holy, to make us more and more like our Savior, who we are united to by faith. One commentator notes that the first five chapters of Roman highlight what God has accomplished for us through the work of Christ, that is justification, while chapters six through eight, which we're starting today, highlight what God will accomplish in us through Christ, that being our sanctification. So in chapter 6, we begin to shift to seeing that to be united to Christ means that a new life is to be lived for the Christian. We begin to see what that new life looks like, particularly as we deal with our sin. There are going to be two points to this sermon today. I know that March Madness is here, so three-pointers are all, you know, that's the trend, right? Everybody wants a three-pointer. But today we're going to do a two-pointer, and uh, the table is going to be the third point. And what we're going to do for this two-point sermon is look at verse 5 and let this kind of frame our time this morning. 
And verse 5 says this, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And so the first point we're going to see today is that we're united to Christ in his death. And this is everywhere in the passage. Verse 2 notes that we have died to sin. Verse 10 says that Christ has died to sin. Verses 3 and 4 talk about how we have been baptized into Christ in his death. Verse 6 notes that our old self has been crucified with Christ, and therefore we have been set free from sin. Verse 8 says we have died with Christ. And finally, in verse 11, it says that because of all this, we are to consider ourselves dead to sin. We are united to Christ in his death. So what does that, what does that mean? When we think about the death of Christ, we often think of Christ as our substitute. And rightly so, because the scripture tells us that. He died in our place. We are the ones who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We are the ones who should be condemned. Yet in our place, it's Christ who is condemned for our sins. In our place, he bears the penalty for our sins and dies for us so that we can live. Yet we also see in the scriptures that Christ also dies for us as our representative. John Stott has a wonderful section on this in his Romans commentary, and he says this, that the New Testament tells us not only that Christ died instead of us as our substitute so that we will never need to die for our sins, but also that he died for us as our representative so that we may be said to have died in and through him. If Christ died for us as our representative and we are united to him, then we also have died. Now, I know you didn't come to church today to be told that you have died, but it's a good death. We're going to talk about this in a minute. Indeed, verse 8 tells us plainly that we have died with Christ. Verse six says, our old self has been crucified with him. Christ died and so do we. But what do we die to? We died to sin. What does it mean to have died to sin? Isn't sin still a problem for us? Certainly it is. In fact, the rest of chapter six, as we'll see next week, and then going into chapter seven, we'll talk very plainly about the ongoing war with sin that we must wage. But one of the things that we see here in the first part of Romans 6 is that to die to sin means that we are set free from the power and dominion of sin. Verse 6 says, our old self was crucified with Christ so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. This doesn't mean that we won't sin as Christians. It doesn't mean that we won't struggle with sins. But it does mean that sin no longer has dominion over us. Sin is a defeated enemy. Christ has died for us. He's taken our sins upon himself. He's defeated sin. He's defeated death, which, by the way, death doesn't have dominion over us either. And we who are united to him by faith, we belong to him. And we live under the reign and dominion of Christ, not the reign and dominion of sin. 
If you have trusted in Christ by faith, your sins are forgiven. You're made new. You're not the old self anymore. You are the new self in Christ. You've been set free from the dominion, from the power of sin. Other scriptures speak of this change from the old self to the new self and what this death to sin looks like. Ephesians 4 tells us that we're to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3, which we read earlier today, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we've been set free from the power and dominion of sin through the death of Christ. We've been given the new self. We're united to Christ, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Why would we revert back to the practices of the old self? A couple of uh, pictures here to to think about um, with this. Um, As you all know, I've spent much of my life in youth ministry And there's a phenomenon that happens, I think, in every church. And it happens here at Cornerstone, too. Um, And that's the phenomenon of the youth room couch. Every church has a youth room couch. This might happen in your home, too, but I'm going to depersonalize it, and we're just going to talk about the youth room couch. And since no one, like, in their right mind will go examine a youth room couch regularly, what happens is, if you do go examine it, you're going to find M&M's from 2018. Uh, you're going to find chewing gum. I don't know, maybe previous owner. Uh, you're going to find a lot of different things just kind of baked into it. And let's say you're replacing that couch, which is a really good idea, by the way. Brand new. Okay. Uh, you're replacing that couch. Do you keep the old M&M's and the gum? Do, do you kind of take that and transfer it to the new couch? You know, so. It will somehow meld into it. You take a bite to see if it's good or not. No, right? Because that's, that's the old couch, right? You have the new couch. If that illustration doesn't work for you, let's think about our drive to church this morning. McClung Avenue. Isn't it so nice now? It's nice and smooth, like you drive and your tires aren't angry at you anymore. And you uh, imagine someone who lives along that road having harbored some of the asphalt and some of the pothole dust from a couple weeks ago and going out in front of their house and just kind of pointing on the new, the new road. No one's going to do that, right? Because that would be the old road. We have a new road now. Friends, put off the old self. Your old self was crucified with Christ. Why would we ask the questions that open the chapter? Are we to continue to sin so that grace may abound? Shall we sin more that grace may increase? Why would we ask those questions as if we want to excuse our retreats into the habits of the old self? Friends, if you're in Christ, if you're united to him by faith, you are a new creation. God is at work in you. The old is gone. The new has come. The life you live, you live by faith in the Son of God 
who loved you and gave himself for you. He died in your place. He died for you, that you too would die to sin and live to righteousness, that you would put on the new self and walk in newness of life. This union with Christ in his death is signified and sealed by baptism. We talk often about the Lord's Supper, which we will take soon as the visible representation of the gospel, of Christ's death for us, his body broken, represented by the bread, his blood shed for us, represented by the cup. Baptism is also a visible representation. It's an outward sign of an inward reality, that reality being union with Christ. Bringing together some of the words of the shorter and larger catechism, it says this, that baptism is a sacrament wherein with the washing with water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit does signify and seal engrafting into Christ. That's union with Christ's language. The remission of our sins by his blood and regeneration by his spirit, our adoption and resurrection unto everlasting life and partaking of the benefits of the covenant of grace and our engagement to be the Lord's. In other words, baptism declares you are no longer your own, but you belong to Christ. In the Lord's Supper, we remember and proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And in baptism, we proclaim the new life that comes from being united to Christ, that we are not our own, but belong to our Savior. So we are to walk in newness of life as those who belong to him. So we are united to Christ in his death. Sin no longer has dominion over us. The old self has been crucified with Christ. We are to live as those who have been set free from the dominion of sin. This is all really good news this morning, that we're united to Christ in his death. But then it gets better, doesn't it? We're also united to Christ in his resurrection. So that's the second point today. We're united to Christ in his resurrection. Verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So let's talk about this in two different ways. There's the present reality of being spiritually raised with Christ and the future reality of being physically raised with Christ. Earlier we read in Colossians 3, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Colossians 2 says, We were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. Ephesians 2 says, God has raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly places. It sounds like he's saying this already happened, because it has. If you're united to Christ by faith, you're not only united to him in his death, but you're united to him now in his resurrection. This gives us great hope and power for living, not only as those who are dead to sin, but as those who are very much alive in Christ Jesus. This does seem like another opportunity to talk about our neighbors. And by neighbors, I mean our friends next door at Maple Hill Cemetery. And so here's the thing. You need to know a couple of things about those who are in the grave at this time. There are many whose bodies are buried there who are more alive at this moment in time than they have ever been. Uh, There are those, if they have trusted in Christ by faith, though their body rests in the grave, they are more alive than they've ever been. 
And that's the great hope of the gospel, isn't it? Uh, the hope of the resurrection. I would argue that they are more alive perhaps than those who are maybe living right around here, uh, puttering around their house, but do not know Christ. If you are united to Christ by faith, you're raised with Christ now. And when you die, when your time comes, you go to be with the Lord forever, alive in his presence, and your body rests in the grave until the resurrection. Shorter Catechism number 37. This is one of the best, um, great one to memorize. It says, when, what benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? It says, the souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness. Man, that's good news. And do immediately pass into glory. And their bodies, still being united to Christ, do rest in their graves until the resurrection. 1 Thessalonians 4.14, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. In Christ, we are raised with him spiritually now. We have a new life in him now. And the great promise of the scripture is that we immediately go to be with the Lord upon death and our bodies wait until that time when the dead are physically raised, soul and body are reunited. We are made new and are with the Lord forever. Friends, do you believe these things? These are great promises to trust in. So we consider what Christ has done and will do for us. 1 Corinthians 15 is a very long chapter in the Bible. It's 58 verses. I encourage you to read it later. I attended a memorial service this week, and nearly all of this chapter was read. It was really incredible to hear. And in that chapter, Paul basically calls the question on the resurrection, saying that if it's not true, then what is the point? He says this, 1 Corinthians 15, 13, and and going on from there. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Later, he channels some of what we've seen in our Ecclesiastes study in Sunday school when he says, if the dead are not raised, then let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. In other words, if it's not true, just go back to the old self. But as you read the rest of the chapter and you, you go on from there, Paul contends that indeed the dead are raised. And so therefore, everything else changes. And if Christ has been raised, your future resurrection is as sure as his resurrection. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, 14, that God raised the Lord Jesus and will also raise us up by his power. 2 Corinthians 4, 14, that knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. And then in our passage today, Romans 6, 8, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Later, before uh, we take the supper, we'll do the Apostles' Creed. And that's one of the things we state that we believe. We believe in the resurrection of the body. 
and of the life everlasting. Friends, do you believe these things? We are united to Christ in his resurrection. What, what he has done, we have done. What he has done in his resurrection, we will do. Death no longer has dominion over him, and death no longer has dominion over you if you're united to Christ. This is not news to just sit on. It's news which changes us and changes the world. Romans 6 says that all this has transpired so that we would walk in newness of life now as we await life eternal with Christ. That we consider ourselves dead to sin, but very much alive to God in Christ. That we put off the old self. We put on the new self, which is being renewed day by day. That we come to this table looking both backwards and forwards. We look back toward the cross. We remember his death, his body broken, his blood shed for us, and that we're united to him in his death. We also look forward to the supper that awaits in the new heavens and new earth as those who are united to Christ in his resurrection. And as we do this together, we are spiritually strengthened by his grace now to walk in newness of life that we will proclaim his death and his resurrection until he comes. Please pray with me and we'll go to the table. Father, we ask now that you would again um, direct our hearts toward the steadfast love of Christ our Savior who loved us and gave himself for us. We thank you that we are united to Christ by faith, um, that what he has done, we have done, and that through his death and resurrection, uh, we have eternal life with you. We pray that you would comfort us uh, with your truth this morning, uh, that you would remind us of the good news And that uh, as we take uh, the supper together, uh, that once again, uh, we would proclaim uh, the life and death and resurrection of our Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.